three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, Roquan Smith is back down. We'll explain in just a moment, plus an exclusive can't-miss interview with Dan McNeil, the host of Danny Mac Friday Tailgate and WJLB and the Danny Mac Podcast. We get candid. We talk about his career, talk about his time at 670, plus some Bears football. It's a can't-miss interview, and it comes up near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluel. If you want to watch more of my show, head over to SportsTalkChicago.com. Every single podcast, article, and video is right there for your consumption at SportsTalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. Sometimes the bully doesn't win. Maybe rare, but it happens. Sometimes righteousness does prevail. Hard to see that in this world at times. In the Bears case, involving Roquan Smith, righteousness prevailed. Free markets and finances prevailed. Leverage prevailed. And a stupid contract ask went down the toilet. <laughs> Roquan Smith has come out and said, and he will play the final year of his rookie contract. He is planning on returning to the team in lieu of week one, and he will wait till after the season to test the market via free agency and or find a new deal with the Bears. Kudos to Ryan Pauls. First and foremost, talk about being tough at your job and standing strong when one of your players is trying to throw you for a loop. I never want to defend management McCaskies, Ted Phillips, even Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus to an extent, I'd rather sign with the players. Especially in a situation like this, the Bears do not pay, do not take care of homegrown talent. They go and spend money, but they rarely take care of homegrown talent. See Devin Hester, for example. They don't do it. It's very rare for the organization to invest tons of money into homegrown talent. So it's a problem. That said, in this case, what Roquan Smith wanted was way too much for the Bears to give out. And Ryan Poles did a good job at standing firm and saying, no, you're not good enough, plain and simple. Roquan Smith wanted around $20 million and counting per season to play linebacker. That's what he wanted, $20 million plus. 
For reference, Darius Leonard, the best linebacker in football, is making $19.5 million. Roquan wanted to exceed that, even though he's not the best linebacker in football. And he really tried. I give him credit. He tried to play chicken with the Bears. I'm going to hold out. I'm going to hold in. I'm going to show up, but not really practice. I don't want to play week one. He tried all of his maneuvers, just like he did four years ago with Brian Pace as a rookie, trying to do it again. Didn't work. Brian Poles isn't stupid. And I give him all the credit in the world for this, in handling this situation. Roquan Smith is delusional. He really is. He's a great linebacker. He is an asset to the Bears' defense, not worth $20 million, and I wouldn't even pay him $20 million. I'd rather let him walk. Leave, then. You don't want to be here? Then leave. Have somebody else pay you $20, $25 million per year. Have somebody else overpay for your services and have them be in the hole, not the Bears. Last time I checked, the Bears have $100-plus million in open salary cap space come next year. If I were Ryan Pauls, I wouldn't let one player get in the way of that. I wouldn't ruin it and spend it on Roquan Smith out of all people when you have serious needs in other spots across the offense and defense. There's a reason why the Bears have not spent much money so far. And although I've been critical of it, especially at the wide receiver position, it does make sense, especially in this case. Ryan Poles wants his team, but even more than that, he wants to set his team up for future success. Spending $20 million of your open payroll for next year already on Roquan Smith would be stupid. And Roquan Smith is stupid for asking that much money. He said he felt disrespected and mistreated by the Bears for these contract negotiations. Give me a break. Be better. If you want to make $20 million per year, be the best. It's that simple. It's really not that hard. It's not a hard concept to grasp. Be the best. You aren't the best, Roquan. You're fifth. You're fourth. You're third. You're not the best. And there's a big difference in pay from number one to number four. Or number three, even number two. Darius Leonard earns every penny of that $19.5 million. Game changer. Game changer on the Colts defense. I ask you this. Is Roquan Smith a game changer? And by game changer, I mean, does he force fumbles? Does he grab interceptions? Does he defend well? Anybody could tackle. Anybody could rack up 100 tackles a season. What does Roquan do when the Bears need him most? Is he reversing field for the Bears by punching out a football? No. Actually, statistically, he's not. And this isn't supposed to be a hatred rant on Roquan Smith, but the fact is I'm going to bring all this stuff out if you're asking for $20 million. If Roquan was content at his $10 million or $9.7 million, I'd say you're fine. That's a bargain for Roquan. But the minute you start to go, hey, I want $20 million, well, I'm going to tell you why you don't deserve it. This is still a meritocracy, and the market determines how much money you're going to make. Look, Christian Kirk got $20 million. You think I agree with that? No. That was the market, unfortunately, for wide receivers. And maybe the market for linebackers come next season is going to be great, and Roquan will make tons of money, and he could say, F you to the Bears and leave, and that'd be awesome for him. Good for him for cashing in. 
But the Bears don't need that salary cap headache right now. They have so much money available. Why spend almost a fifth of it on one player who is not a real big-time game changer? Credit and shout-out to Ryan Pauls. He did it. This, to me, already defines his era as the Bears GM. He does. Did not capitulate. Did not capitulate to anybody. Didn't capitulate to the McCaskies, Ted Phillips, as far as we know, at Eberplus. Made this decision on his own, watching Roquan and knowing about who he is. No capitulation, no backing down. Nope. He stuck with it, held his ground, and now Roquan's not going to be making an inflated contract that will bite the Bears in the butt in a couple of years. Talk about a tough GM. Ryan Pace gave in four years ago. Other GMs in the past have given in the players' demands, even though they're unrealistic and unreasonable. Ryan Pauls didn't. He stayed with it. He was tough. And it yielded, I think, a great situation for the Bears. You give Ronquan Smith one more year to prove it. In this new defense with a new head coach, the Bears already are not ready to win this year, too. Got that in mind. Next year, big salary cap and lots of room for growth. If Roquan Smith does not factor into your future plans, goodbye, and you pay him nothing. And you don't have to worry about paying him $20 million over a couple of years. Hey, say what you want about Khalil Mack, for example. Good pickup for the first one or two years, but look what happened later. And then look at how much money the Bears owed him. Thank you, Brian Pace. See what I mean? Do you want to be paying Roquan Smith $20 million when he's 27, 28 years old and is not as productive as he is now? And even now, he's not to the point where he's a game changer. It's only going to get worse. You want to pay him that much money? No, of course not. Ryan Pauls did the right thing. And I love how tough he was. Media peppering him with questions. Roquan throwing his teammates and his team out of the bus. Ryan Pauls said, you're done. I will not budge. I will not move. Take it or leave it. Pauls did have leverage, too. The Bears are not going to compete this year. And here's the best part. Roquan Smith was not make or break on a winning season. If the Bears didn't have Roquan Smith, they're probably still going to go 5-12. and 6-11, maybe 7-10. Roquan Smith does not make a difference to that degree. So again, I ask, is he worth $20 million? Is he worth pay that translates to the best linebacker in football? I say, hell no. And I give Ryan Poles credit for being tough enough to say the same thing right to his face. That's ballsy, that's gutsy, and I certainly appreciate it as a follower of Bears football. I want to shift to this. Big cuts via training camp for the Bears. And this one shocked me, at least a little bit, but didn't shock me based on play during this season, during last season, too. Daz Newsome has been cut by the Bears. He's been waived. Newsom was a sixth-round pick from Ryan Pace. Here's a quote from Pro Football Talk. Newsom failed to make the team out of camp last year but signed to the practice squad and wound up appearing in three games during the regular season. He caught two passes for 23 yards, 
returned six punts for 275 yarders in those contests. Goodbye, Daz Newsom. I was pretty high on Newsom. I really thought he was going to be good coming out of college. Fast guy, sixth-round pick. I mean, similar to a Darnell Mooney type. Late round could be good. Ryan Pace had a good knack for finding diamonds in the rough. But this one didn't work. And really what sealed his fate, in my opinion, was his performance over these first two preseason games. Daz, catch the football. Hold on to the football. (laughs) Stop fumbling. Stop butter-handsing the football. Make the catch. You're a wide receiver. I don't feel bad about this at all. You shouldn't either. He is a dinosaur, an artifact from the old regime, and he had to go. And the Bears have no wide receivers anyway. So this really is telling about who Daz Newsome is as a player and what Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflew saw out of him. Think about that. The Bears have no wide receivers. The Bears' wide receiving core is still one of the worst in football, and yet Daz Newsom is not good enough to be in that fold. What does that tell you about what they thought of Daz Newsom? Think about that. A lot of people hopped on the hype train, including myself. I really thought he would be something somewhat special. But think about that. The Bears have no wide receivers. They have nothing. And yet, Daz is gone. And they kept Nikhil Harry, a first-round pick bust, whose heart, they kept him around. But cut Noosa. They kept a true bust, a real bust, first-round pick, and cut Daz Noosa. I saw some tweets saying, oh, he's going to latch on to another team. He's going to get a new chance. Tell you this much, he's a sixth-round wide receiver. There may not be many second chances for him. It's not like we're talking about a real veteran or even a first-round pick who turned out to be a bust. We're talking about a sixth-round guy, somebody who probably will be lucky if he gets onto a practice squad. Maybe you'll see him in the XFL coming up. I don't know. <laughs> the point is, he's gone. And it's yet another artifact from the Ryan Pace era gone, too. I mean, this whole cut says two things. Number one, Daz isn't good enough to be on the worst wide receiving core in football, and that's telling. But number two, this is another sign that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus do not agree with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace and their valuation of talent, which is a good thing to me. I would Ryan Poles, I'd cut everybody who Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace liked. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but seriously, think about the Bulls. When Arturus Karnischewicz came in and Mark Eversley came in, Within six months, by the halfway point of their first year, only three players from the old regime, Garpacks, were still there. Everybody was cut, gone, traded, cut, released, whatever it is. They were gone, retired, gone, off the team, demoted to the G League. They were gone. What does that say? Well, maybe they did it out of spite, but I think the real indicator is that our packs had no idea how to evaluate talent, and they drove the Bulls into the ground, resulting in all these cuts and this cleanup by Karnischewitz. Same thing here for the Bears. Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, for the most part, could not and still can't evaluate talent. And here's proof. Ryan Pace is bringing in so many former Bears to Atlanta. Great. So you're going to bring in more Bears from last year's team and the teams before, which sucked. Put them down in Atlanta, and everything's going to be good. Give me a prank. That's stupid. This is just another sign that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy have no idea how to evaluate talent. 
I'm not saying Brian Pose and Matt Eberflus too, but I'd rather listen to their opinions because they're newer than Brian Pace and Matt Nagy, two failures, who have no idea how to lead a good football franchise. They have no clue. I'd rather listen or at least consider Eberflus and Pose and their opinions compared to Nagy and Pace. Nagy and Pace, or at least Pace, loved Daz Newsom. Loved him enough to tank him and loved him enough to stir up a media hype train about him. Because I remember this time last year, including myself, I was a part of the hype train. I really thought he would get significant playing time, he'd make the team, and he'd make strides within the season. I was wrong. We were all wrong. And now look, being cut. Just a word of wisdom to all of us out there as we watch more cuts to come. Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy had all of us at times sipping the Kool-Aid about some of these younger players that really are not that good. And maybe Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus will do the same. Maybe next year we'll talk about Nikhil Harry being a real bust. Talk about other players they brought in being real issues. But for right now in this moment, we are being shown more true colors about Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, believe it or not. No one's talking about this. No one wants to acknowledge it, but it's true. Hunting Daz Newsom from the worst wide receiving corn football tells me more about Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy than Ryan Poles and Matt Ebert Blues. Tells me that their talent evaluation sucked because everyone was high on Daz Newsom. And yes, he's fast. He has some nice qualities, but if you can't catch the football, you're not an NFL wide receiver. You're not even a peewee wide receiver. Catch the damn ball. Hold on to the damn football. Not that hard. Just something to think about. And we'll be watching as more cuts come through, and I'm sure we'll see another couple of significant names on the chopping block. And it just goes to further show. Matt Nagy and Brian Pace had no idea what they were doing. For to come here on Sports Talk Chicago, my exclusive interview with Dan McNeil comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Here we go. We are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the host of Danny Mac's Friday Tailgate on WJOB, host of the Danny Mac Podcast with Bent Rivers, and a sports radio legend. Please welcome Dan McNeil to the program. Dan, it's great to have you on. How are you? Good, John. Good to be with you. Usually when they throw out the word legend, it means you don't have a job. But uh, <laughs> I, I have a couple now, but I'll, I'll take legend if that's what you're throwing on my business card today. You and Mike North are legends. I call Mike a legend all the time when he's on this program, too. So it's no uh, no slight or disrespect whatsoever. You are a legend in Chicago radio, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. And uh, I agree with you about Mike. Mike's uh, career has been one of the most fascinating ones in, in any form of Chicago broadcast media, uh, whether you're talking about news, sports, whatever the case may be, to do what he did at the age of 40 with almost no radio experience is one of the greatest stories in radio history, I think. Let's talk about your career. How did you get your start in radio? It's what I always wanted to do. I was one of those nerdy kids who would turn down the sound on the television and record myself doing play-by-play of Blackhawks games, of Cubs games. Uh, very early on, I wanted to be a sports writer or a sports broadcaster. And while I, I played amateur athletics, I also 
knew that, uh, and I wasn't a smart kid, John, but I was smart enough to know that I probably wasn't going to play center field for the Cubs and probably wasn't going to play fullback for the Bears. So I started writing for my high school paper when I was a freshman in Highland High in Northwest Indiana and uh, took my uh, my thirst for broadcasting to Ball State in the early 80s where uh, I learned the craft and put in a ton of hours uh, doing pretty much anything they'd let me do at the campus radio station. And it went from there. Did you ever expect all the success that you achieved, especially here in Chicago? You never know how it's going to go. It's not a predictable life. Um, you keep your head down and, and and keep plowing toward that goal. Um, when I got into it, keep in mind, there was no sports talk radio. That, uh, that format had yet to be discovered or unearthed and it was only part-time stuff so everybody thought you're either going to be a play-by-play man or you're just going to be a reporter and I thought just being a reporter was where I would wind up but you know in uh, in 1987 WFAN was born in New York and cities like Minneapolis and Cleveland followed and in 92 I was uh, in the right place at the right time when the score built the first bricks um, for a little daytime-only radio station on the northwest side of Chicago, sharing a building with WXRT. At the time, it was owned by Diamond Broadcasting, and uh, later Westinghouse, and then CBS, now Odyssey. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a crazy ride. And no, you never can see it coming, but uh, and then you don't believe it when it actually happens, and they're giving you lots of money. And you're being, you know, you're giving, given a, a dealer car to drive for representing <laughs> a product. You kind of pinch yourself all the, all the while, but um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I, I've really been grateful to work with so many great people over the years too. How did the score opportunity come up? How'd you get contacted and then put on the air back in the nineties when it first launched? I was producing Chet Kopic's show on the old AM FM loop, um, AM 1000. Um, it was a nighttime show that followed Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer, the best radio show in Chicago history for my money. And uh, they were looking for for three different shows to program the three day parts that would be on when they were targeting. And they knew it was going to be a part time station, a daytime only station. So they needed three shows. And they reached out to me about being their afternoon guy. And uh, while it was a risk, I, I put faith in them because I did like what Seth Mason and Dan Lee had done with WXRT. I had respect for that that project and, um, and trusted them. Sometimes the chance you don't take is, is the biggest mistake you'll make. So um, I took a chance and it was frustrating waiting for FCC approval on our license shined a chair with my ass for four months every day waiting for that to happen. But when we launched in January of 92, it wasn't too long after where we realized we had a viable product and we were going to be a part of the city's pop culture. What kind of an environment was that like? I mean, you, Mike North, Dan Jiggett, there were so many great radio people kind of all at once. You don't see something like that anymore today. Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, Mike likes to say we were the 27 Yankees. And uh, 
I mean, he was both Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, by the way, if we were the 27 <laughs> Yankees. Um, it was the Wild West of, of radio. Um, it was a no-holds-barred approach. Our two first really good executive producers, Jesse Rogers and Judd Surratt, uh, Judd's the voice of the Bruins now, the radio voice of the Boston Bruins, and Jesse's been doing great things at ESPN and ABC7 with baseball for a number of years. They would have classic wars with each other on on getting the biggest name guests on for their shows, and they would break the rules. The program director, Ron Gleason, laid out for who gets what and the rotation system and contacting the team's PR offices. It was a real crazy time in radio and it was a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of the guys had no idea what they were doing and that's what made it more fun. How do you think that era of radio compares to today? Well, we had so much freedom in, in that era to, to be expressive, to, to have a sense of humor. Uh, these poor sons of bitches who do it every day today. I mean, you have to, you guys have to weigh every word and it's interrestrial. And, and even in other formats, it's becoming a lot more restrictive than, uh, than a lot of people hoped. Um, I think it was better when there was more flexibility I think there was more transparency and, uh, you know, comedy, comedy sometimes can be cruel, but uh, it's up to the consumer ultimately to decide what he or she wants in their, in their headset, in their, in their car with them. And uh, unfortunately it's gone way too far to, um, to being protective of all audiences. And it's become very, very, homogenized would you say that's the biggest problem with radio today being too soft for lack of a better term on the air well you know soft maybe that's a part of it um i i think there's so much competition now and there's you know guys aren't striving to be you know three four hour entertainment vehicles they're looking for a 90 second soundbite they can get more page views on on twitter it's 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 on demand it's fast it's highlights rather than long form everything is condensed and uh, and guys have to play by those rules and you look at the over the air guys who now have to compete with a lot of podcasts and there are way more bad ones than good ones but there's a ton of material out there there's on demand for your favorite shows. So you have to compete even with your own teammates. You know, if your favorite show is is middays, but you don't get in your vehicle until afternoons, you might be punching in that midday show and the afternoon guys don't get you as, as they might have. Sirius XM has, has put a dent in the terrestrial audience. So it's it's unfortunate, but this is progress, and with progress, there are casualties, and terrestrial radio certainly has been one of them. Do you like podcasting now compared to terrestrial radio with your new podcast? 
I do. Uh, I'm very new at it. So we're still in phase A, still very much seashells and balloons and, you know, <laughs> sending love hearts every day. Um, it's fun. It's it's all football, which is all I wanted to do for the last handful of years anyway. Um, I got tired of doing sports that weren't football, frankly. When the Blackhawks got bad again, I lost interest in that because the audience was gone. You know, you can suffer through bad Bears teams and still have audience. You can't do it with the Blackhawks. So I love talking football. And Adam Delavitt, who is in charge of all the programming and social media for Bet Rivers, was my executive producer years ago um, between 01 and, and 08 at ESPN, uh, the heyday of my career. And he's also been a friend. So that's been, it's been nice to reunite with Adam and, and do this project with him. How nice is it too, to kind of come back as you, I mean, you made a pretty good comeback in my opinion, leaving the score after what happened. And now you're on WJOB and you have this pretty big podcast with, with Bent Rivers. How's that feel for you? Well, neither of them are center ring and <laughs> I know that. I'm not delusional. <laughs> At the same time, because of the TuneIn app, it's it's not embarrassing to be doing suburban radio as it would have been 10 years ago. You don't have to drive by the transmitter to get my show. You can listen <laughs> anywhere in the world. So that uh, that helps. Um, but it's, you know, I, I would have been shutting down to a much larger degree um, even if I hadn't been fired in 2020, the arrangement that I was working under would have concluded my, my contract would have ended right after this past year's Super Bowl, And the program director and I already had had conversations about working into a more part-time capacity, doing vacation relief, doing bears programming. So I already had planned to, at this point, um, be cutting back and into a semi-retirement job. So it, it, this is this is kind of perfect. This is about as much as I want to do. A couple of podcasts a week and one two-hour terrestrial show. So I assume there's no ambition or thought about returning to Chicago full-time, like 670 or ESPN 1000. You're happy with what you're doing now, right? Yeah, nobody would have me, but I don't want that chair anyway. Um <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it every day for four hours. I, I couldn't I couldn't delude myself into into making that commitment again. Um would I do it as a fill-in once in a while? Sure. As long as it's football. <laughs> I don't want to be sitting there in 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 May uh talking about what the White Sox are gonna do before the trade deadline. <laughs> that doesn't interest me. I've done that to death. Uh, it's not breaking rocks. It's not, you know, hard labor. I'm not kidding myself, but it's something that I just didn't want to do anymore. So, no, I I don't I don't even think about that anymore. Honestly, shit, I wasn't even invited to the score's 30th birthday party to be on the air. So um, I doubt I'll be hosting shows there or at ESPN anytime soon. How'd you feel about that? I thought that was a little bit of a misrepresentation. I mean, you're one of the original voices on the score. Did you feel bad about not being invited? Yeah, it hurt. Um, I guess I brought it on myself. Um, I was critical of the radio station for the way it handled 
Les Grobstein's funeral back in the winter. Um, feelings were hurt and grudges, you know, die hard with some people. I don't have one. Um, I know what I did for the station that was good. I know that what I did that was counterproductive, um, especially in that second run through the score between 09 and 14. Those last couple of years, I wasn't at my best. I, I'm aware of that. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have my head in the sand on, you know, this idea that I'm the perfect employee. I certainly wasn't. But I, I think there were way more positive contributions than there were negatives. Do you have any regrets about your time with the score or how things ended? I regret outcomes more than I regret anything that I've really done. I mean, when I left the score in 2014, um, they offered me a very attractive contract to stay. And I just was ready to do something different. And I didn't have an offer at the time. So I, I said no to a base salary of 375K. It probably would have been with bonuses made over a nickel. And didn't have anything waiting for me. But Greg Salk, who is now in charge of WXRT, at that time was uh, was a big time, was a big player at Hubbard Media, which owns the drive. And I liked the drive. And he asked me to be a part of a morning project that I thought was a can't miss. And I did that for considerably less than what the score was offering me, just because I wanted something new. Then Greg gets fired by Hubbard. The new guy comes in. He doesn't like me. Um, my time there is short. Um, it was two years. I regret the outcome. I don't regret the decision to try it. And I don't, I, I don't take back anything I've done since that point or tweeted or anything else, you know, I, I don't believe it was injurious to the station's brand as I was told it was, but I have been forced to accept the majority opinion. Do you think at some point you guys could bury the hatchet and come together? Oh, I don't know. I mean, if they want to, um, I'm still, I still have some pretty meaningful friendships with some of those guys. We don't talk regularly. We don't text regularly, but uh, now and again, we uh, we connect. I'm going to go see Matt Spiegel's band this coming uh, Sunday. They're doing the Kinks in Skokie. Looking forward to that. And um, and I'm supposed to have dinner with Mitch Rosen, the program director, next week. So, but uh, you know, hopefully these these wounds will heal because our time here is very very short and. I, you know, I know I've been an asshole to a lot of people. I just, <laughs> and a lot of people been assholes to me, but I, I don't carry grudges anymore. I, I just, it's, I believe that's the kind of thing that leads to cancer. Dan McNeil here on Sports Talk Chicago. Dan, getting candid. Really appreciate you uh, speaking out about all this stuff. A lot of people want to know. A lot of people haven't gotten the full story and they're interested in what's happened to you because a lot of people are fans. Well, and that's very gratifying that, you know, so many people seem to have invested in uh, in me over the years. Um, that's rare when uh, when sports yak guys can cross that threshold and, and and be 
a radio personality and, and a person before a sports guy. And it takes a long time to develop that. And uh, it, it's nice to see when so many people reach out on social media or people I would see at Whole Foods or when filling my gas tank. Hey, miss you on the air. Love when you talked about your son, Patrick. You know, that's 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 nice to hear those things. Let's talk some football now and shift a little bit. Obviously, your specialty. What did you make of the Bears-Seahawks game from last week? I think there were a few positives. I thought the right side of the offensive line, Tevin Jenkins being moved to guard and Larry Borum at right tackle were very, very good. I thought they won most battles in the first half. Um, Offensive line play isn't very sexy. Everybody wants to start with evaluating the quarterback. But if those offensive linemen in front of Justin Fields don't get better, it doesn't really much matter. Um, That was a positive step. I thought Valus Jones as a return man sparkled. Um, That could be a nice weapon for the Bears. He was uh, the SEC's co-special teams player of the year last year, and uh, not many of us knew much about him when they took him in the third round, but he's got some real good burst. He looks like he's very decisive, as my pal Tom Thayer would say, decisive in his decision-making. And, uh, and when he turns on the Jets, he, he can go. Um, I think it's a real negative. Jaquan Brisker is not uh, getting reps and is, is missing time because that's one of the few things defensively I think a lot of us get excited about. What about the Roquan Smith situation? Now he's going to be coming back. Are you thrilled about that? Or how, how much does that help the Bears defense too? I think it would have been awful to not have him, but they're going to be pretty bad with him. Uh, and I I have to side with the Bears. As much as I love to sharpen the blade for anything McCaskey, I, I, I just can't in this case. Darius Shaq Leonard is deserving of the money he's being paid because he changes games. Smith has been a terrific tackles guy. Shit, he led the team in tackles his first year as a rookie um, and missed almost all of training camp before he did that. But he's only forced one fumble in four years. He's got five interceptions. Leonard has 17 forced fumbles. The guys who make that kind of money have to be, they have to be game wreckers. And Roquan Smith has been a very sure-handed tackler, reads the offense very well, flows side to side very well. He's not a high, he's not a higher end guy, just no way. So uh, I totally understand why the, you know, the bears left him feeling distasteful, as he said. He said he was uh, treated unfairly. What do you say to that? Well, you know, that's, I guess you kind of reap what you sow when you don't hire an agent to sit and listen uh, to all the things you don't do. And I, I would suspect what I just said came up in those conversations. You don't take the ball. Away. That's why you hire an agent to serve as the buffer. So you don't have to hear that stuff. He wasn't smart enough. Uh, I have no idea how Ryan Poles uh, behind closed doors conducts his business. Um like to give him the benefit of the doubt. I can't do that for his bosses because I've seen the movie with Ted Phillips way too many times. Um, count your fingers after every handshake. 
How do you see this situation getting resolved with Roquan? Do you think at some point after the season they come to an agreement, or is this going to be it? You know, it's up to him moving to Will Linebacker. He has a chance to make more splash plays in space, as they say, um, as opposed to being in the A-gaps. If he's that insistent on on getting this experience behind him maybe he'll wind up shopping his wares and taking a deal somewhere else somebody will overpay for him there always is somebody out there who overpays for a guy he's certainly still young enough to command big money too but uh if it winds up being elsewhere i i think that'll that'll be good for the bears to get him off their payroll if you're talking about paying him top five linebacker money because he hasn't earned that he's not worth that what's your evaluation of brian Poles's job so far as gm there's going to be about 140 million dollars in cap space come next season and if you unload roquan as well there's going to be even more that seems pretty promising on the outset yeah hopefully he can find guys next time around who pass physicals and uh <laughs> You know, that wasn't a good look. And, uh, you know, certainly his his acquisitions at the skilled positions aren't breathtaking. Uh, Nikhil Harry of the Patriots, you know, when Bill Belichick <laughs> says he's seen enough after three years, that says a lot to me about Nikhil Harry. Um, Byron Pringle, you know, there's a good chance he's remembered as a punchline for being the donut guy. Uh, don't ever do donuts with a 700 horse engine under the hood. I, I've driven cars close to that in power. You don't want to do that. Even without your child in the backseat, you don't want to do that. But uh, the, those are uninspiring hires. I, you know, he's does, he does have a lot of room to work with next year, but you know what I, I think would get a lot more people excited is if he could start to build through the draft. I think fans are so disgusted by decades and decades of swings and misses. They haven't, they haven't hit on a first round offensive tackle um, since Jimbo Covert in 83. And they, they've got to turn that around. I mean, even recent memory, too. Williams, Gabe Karimi, there have been so many guys they've just struck out on in the first round, and it's been sickening for a lot of Bears fans. Yeah, both sides of the ball. I mean, if you want to look at recent history, uh, <laughs> they just got Riley Reef, um, who spent last year with the Bengals. In 2012, if you'd have told me the Bears drafted Riley Reef, I'd have said, hey, that's a good hire for that's a good pick by the Bears. Uh, they passed on Reef. Uh, they would have been wrong because he hasn't been a great player. The Lions took him uh, a couple of slots after the Bears took Shea McClellan out of Boise State, <laughs> who was. Uh, but I was screaming for the Bears to take either Reef or DeCastro, who would have been a good pick, but uh, Pittsburgh took him. But uh, yeah, they, they've 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 not done well either side of the ball. High picks. How's Justin Fields looking to you so far? Um, it's tough to say. Um, I got a kick out of all the naggy bashing on, uh, on Thursday night and Friday morning after the Seahawks game. And he talked about how they never called these rollouts for Justin Fields when Matt Nagy, it wasn't that there were several that weren't called rollouts. He was under pressure and had to move. Um, a little early for me to say Luke Getze is the Messiah. 
um, try to be optimistic that it's going to be better. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I think if Fields protects himself um, and s- starts, you know, learning the art of getting down and also that stretch, that stretch for the marker, I, I'd like to see him put that in the, in his pocket. And, uh, and not, that's, that's a way for a guy to get hurt too. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to be optimistic about him, but there's, there, there's more negatives than positives in year one last year, despite all the asterisks you give him, given the lack of talent they had around him. He, he, he still, he still has so far to go playing quarterback at a high level in that NFL is not easy. Why does he have to go so far? Well, what did you see that you didn't like from him? Well, I think, you know, his his completion percentage is not nearly what it needs to be. Um, I mean, when you're less than 60% in this NFL, that's that's not good. Um, he forces balls still. I, I think he's trying to prove himself as a passer before being a runner. I think a lot of athletic quarterbacks – that's a tendency that a lot of them have. They want to prove their their passers as much as they are runners. And I think sometimes he, he needs to be, you know, just quick. All right, I can see the marker. I'm going to get to it and then get down and protect myself and just do that. Don't be afraid to to tuck the ball away and get upfield and keep the chains moving. Because I'm not so sure Cole Komet is, uh, is going to be the answer on third down. How big of a jump do you expect out of fields come this year? I think so much of it is predicated on how how much you know production they get out of the new guys at wide receiver. And I I, I hate to 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 qualify everything, but it's it's tough to judge a quarterback. And we had the same problem when Cutler arrived here a few years ago when he didn't have much help around him. And Troy Aikman in the national broadcast says it's embarrassing to throw some of these guys out here and call them wide receivers. It's an insult to the craft. I don't think they're at that level right now, but they're not far from it. Um, and I want to see him be be more decisive, and I, I want to see him continue to exhibit the leadership skills that I think he has, um, get in guys' faces. It's not a popularity contest. I don't think that's – that's as easy for younger players to to arrive at as it used to be. Um, but I think it's it's necessary for the position. You got to be willing to be unpopular now and again. Where do you see this Bears team going overall for this season? I bet the under at six and a half at minus one seventy seven. Um, there are very few easy dates on the schedule. Um, Houston coming to town in week three would be probably their easiest game of the year. The Jets are every bit as bad as the Bears are, but the Bears have to go to New York, and I'm pretty sure that game's in November. Um, you know, with I, I don't know how they win more than six games. I, I don't see, and it's not even measured this year's success, and nobody wants to hear this, but it's not even measured in wins and losses, it's how much better are you? Are you showing signs of young players 
proving they can be NFL difference makers. And if you're not, if you don't get the Tevin Jenkins of the world and the Braxton Joneses, the rookie left tackle, fifth rounder from Southern Utah, Jaquan Brisker, uh, the corner they 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 just drafted. If you don't get those guys going, it doesn't really matter what the record is. But if those five or six, seven new players show some real consistent spark, then it's a decent year, even if you lose 12 games. What's going to be your judgment of criteria for uh, Justin Fields and, and his progress? You know, uh, it's got to be more than beat the Packers, um, even though that's uh, that's something that really needs to to change for the Bears. I looked this up the other day. Uh, it's not germane to your question, but the Bears have Green Bay in week two. It was 30 years ago this season when Favre took over for, for the Packers when he started 13 games his first year there. So 30 years, two meetings a year. 60 regular season meetings between the Bears and Packers. The Packers have won 45 of them. And 17 times they've won both games that year. They've swept the series. The number of double-digit wins they have over the Bears is hideous. How do I measure Justin Fields? You know, it's it's not linear. It's it's You'd like to think that it's that way, but it's not. Um He's got to throw 20 touchdown passes this year, minimal, preferably 30. Um, another, you know, six or eight on the ground. Third down conversions have to be better. They need to set up less long situations on third down. They're third and long way too often. Um, those are the kind of things. And leadership's not something you quantify necessarily uh, with with numbers, but you know it when you see it. More to come with Dan McNeil in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Dan McNeil still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Dan, two more questions before we finish up. First off, what do you want your fans to remember most about you? That I was real. That... I, I never faked an opinion. I never faked an emotion that what you heard every day, um, some days cheerful, some days surly, was who I was. And that I appreciated every pat on the back, every free ticket to a ball game, every complimentary round of golf as much as anybody who's ever done sports radio because I grew up without that I, I grew up kind of humbly uh didn't do without but we didn't have much and um you know the son of a soap maker with uh you know was the first guy to, in my family's history to graduate from college I, I did okay but I never lost sight of the fact that I, I I went without food in college you know I had weed but I didn't have food for a little while my freshman year. Um, but then I was just 100% real. And uh, thank you very much for investing in that would be my message to them, that, that they've invited me into the intimate, you know, surroundings of their SUV or their headphones on the train going home from work. Thank you. 
That's uh, it means something to me. And Dan, before we finish up today, last question: What's the funniest moment that you've been a part of in your career? Oh boy, the funniest moment. I'm sure there are many. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the one I can share with you. My my first partner at the score, Terry Bores, called Larry Zonka, the Dolphins Hall of Fame running back, a name that I can't I can't say on the air. And we didn't beep it either, but that was that was a different era. Um, I think one time I, when I was producing Chet Kopic's show and he thought I had booked Heisman Trophy winning running back Barry Sanders to be his guest, when in fact I had booked Byron Sanders, Barry's brother, who had signed a, a, a free agent deal with the Bears, Chet introduces him uh, in his typical Kopic flowery you know, they said he couldn't capture college football's top prize, playing without the national TV audience in Stillwater, Oklahoma, soon to be carrying the mail for William Clay Ford's Honolulu Blue, the Detroit Lightning. I'm going, oh, my God, he thinks it's Barry Sanders. It was Byron Sanders. Um, but, uh, you know, just when you think you've seen it all in, in radio, work one more day and somebody will beat that. <laughs> Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining me. Amazing interview, great insights. Um, looking forward to having you on again in the future. And best wishes, of course, with WJOB and with the new podcast for Bent Rivers. Thanks, John. It was a lot of fun. You have a good day. Great talk there with Dan McNeil. That'll do it for us today. You're on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Dan McNeil himself, Matt Dubio, WCKG, Jim DeTobin, to Marlboro Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, for every single podcast, article, interview, and video, head to sportstalkchicago.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, so long, everyone. No! No! You're the turtle!